turn to Genesis chapter 1 and Hebrews 9. Genesis 1 and Hebrews 9. And while you're turning, let me remind you, you saw the commercial there about our equipping classes. They begin in a few weeks, and you could just hear from Pastor Allen how wonderful and how exciting a class would be to be able to learn and go deeper in God's Word. And we have all sorts of equipping classes on all sorts of different topics, very practical topics, theological topics, all sorts of things. So make sure that you take the little brochure you got when you came in. If you didn't get one, you can get one before you leave, or go on the web and sign up. All right, last week, what was the title of the message last week? You better do better than that, or I'm just going to change my message and preach on hell. (laughs) What does God need, right? And uh, let me tell you something. I, I work real hard to come up with titles and points that you can remember. Now, let me tell you why I do that. If you can remember the point, you can remember the truth. And truth is what sets us free. Truth is what changes us. So uh, I was actually, uh, saw a little boy at the restaurant, six years old, and he attends uh, one service. He attends in children's ministry, and because his father's on staff here, then he attends one service in here. And so I asked him, what were my three points? And he thought for a minute, and then he said, uh, God doesn't need anything. God decided to need you. Have you decided to need God? Now, the reason I'm telling you that is because if a six-year-old <laughs> can remember them, then so can we. But again, the reason I do it is so that we remember truth, because it's, what, it's truth that changes our lives. So, last week we talked about what does God need. He doesn't need anything, but He decided to need us. This week, the title of the message is, What Does God Want? Last week, what does God need? This week, what does God want? And let me say it a different way, all right? We said God doesn't need anything, but He decided to need us. Okay, let me ask you a question about God deciding to need us. Why? Why did God decide to need us? Since He didn't need us, why did He decide to need us? Here's the answer. Because He wanted us. Now, the truth that I'm going to share with you today has the potential to heal a wound that all of us are born with. It's the wound of rejection. All of us. And we do all sorts of things in our lives to try to overcome rejection. But I want you to understand, the only truth that will actually help us to overcome rejection is understanding that God wants us. He wants us. So I have three points to prove to you today that God wants you. All right? Here's point number one. Number one, He created you in His image. He created you in His image. Now, all of these points have a a subject, a verb, a direct object, I saw some of your eyes starting to roll back. It's not, it's not going to be long, okay? Not going to be long. Just a little grammar. A subject, a verb, a direct object, and a prepositional phrase. Okay. Don't tune me out. Listen just for a minute. It's important. We're going to drop the prepositional phrase for a moment, which is in his image, ends a preposition, and we're just going to look at the subject, verb, and object. The subject in all of these points is the same. It's God. The direct object is the same. It's you. All right? God created, but I want you to look at the verb. God created you 
in his image. And I want you to think about these three words. I'm trying to prove to you God wanted you. Those three words prove it. God created you. He created you. In other words, he would not have created you had he not wanted you. There was no reason for him to create us other than he wanted us. He did not need us for relationship. He created us for relationship because he wants relationship, but not because he needed relationship. Maybe you've never thought about this, but God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit had perfect relationship before we ever came into existence. They had never had an argument. They had never had a tiff. Ever heard that word? They had never had a spat. Never a disagreement. And and think about this. For hundreds of thousands of millions of billions of gazillions of millennia. That's a lot of years. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit got along fine without us. So why did He create us? It's real simple. He wanted us. He wanted us. Now, Genesis 1 Look at verse 26 and 27. We say he created you in his image. Look at verse 26. Then God said, let us, notice the word us, plural. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them, that's male and female, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man, or mankind, in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. Now, I said that I want to prove to you that God wants you, and that he created you should prove it, but this is going to go a step farther. He created you in his image. Nothing else that he created is in the image of God. I don't know if you ever thought about that. No tree, no cow, no river, no mountain, not even the angels are in the image of God. Only humans. Just us. Why? Because he was trying to represent something and he was creating someone that he could have a relationship with and fellowship. Now, I said he was trying to represent something. So, let's go a little farther than that. Look at chapter 2, verse 19. It's the verse we read last week, but we're going to read the next few verses. Verse 19 says, Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. Again, if you didn't get the message last week, please get the CD before you leave because it will build on what we're talking about this week. Verse 20. So Adam gave names to all cattle, to the birds of the air, and every beast of the field. Now, this is a very strange statement in your Bible. What's the next statement? But, but, this is why he's naming the animals. For Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him, or a companion like him. In the Hebrew, it should be translated companion-like. There wasn't found a companion like him. No one looked like him. No one walked like he walked. No one acted like he acted. No one thought like he thought. None of the animals did. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam. And he slept. And he took one of his ribs, closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made... I want want to come back to that Hebrew word, the Hebrew word there for made. He made into a woman. And he brought her to the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bone. 
flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. All right. Um, first of all, I want to talk about the word made. It says God made or created Adam and he made Eve. The only problem is that we only have one English word for made, but there are two Hebrew words that are used here. They're different Hebrew words. It's very important to get this. The Hebrew word when God made Adam is actually a word that means squeezed. That's all it means, squeezed. Here's what God did. He reached down, he grabbed a handful of dirt, squeezed it, blew in it, and that was Adam. Okay? But the Hebrew word for when he made Eve is the Hebrew word which means fashioned. He took more time on the woman. (laughs) Personally, I'm glad. (laughs) But us, he just squeezed. (laughs) And some of us now are coming unsqueezed. (laughs) But he fashions woman. And he fashions her in the image of Adam who's in the image of God, so obviously she's in the image of God too. But it's important to understand this because this statement has always uh, bothered me. But, you know, he's naming animals, but he didn't find a companion. Was he looking among the animals? And how did this conversation between God and, and him take place, you know? Adam's down there in the garden. I, I, I guess, you know, we don't know this, but I guess Adam went to God and said, I'm bored out of my mind. I'm just, I'm, every day it's the same thing, you know. I didn't, you know, so God said, well, listen, I need you to name the animals. I was on a six-day schedule, didn't have time. If you could name the animals for me, that would give you something to do. And why don't you see if you like any of them? Why, why else would it say, but there was not found a companion unless he was looking for a companion? You know, I, I, again, I like to take a little liberty. With, I think God might have even said to him, you know, you might like the dog. You probably won't like the cat because <laughs> you're a man. <laughs> Sorry if you like cats, but, you know. Well, just see, just see if you, if you like any of the animals. Well, he goes through all the animals. He doesn't find anybody he likes. He goes to sleep. He wakes up. There's a new animal there. <laughs> and here's what he says. She's bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Okay, here's what he's actually saying. She looks like me. She, she talks like me. She walks like I. She just, she's my image. She's in my image. Okay. I'm trying to prove to you that God wants you. Now, I want you to realize something, all right? Let's just say that I have the power to create. I don't, but let's say I, I do. And you're trying to figure out what, what would I want. Now, think about this. God has everything. He has everything. And if he doesn't have it, he just whips it up. Okay? He's got everything. So I'm trying to figure out what God wants And God created someone that looks like, talks like, walks like, thinks like he does. Okay? So, let's say I've got the power to create. So, you're trying to figure out what I want. And I create someone exactly like I am. Exactly. And the one I create wants something. Now, you're trying to figure out what I want. 
But I created someone just like I am, and the one I created wants something. Wouldn't that tell you then what I want? You see what I'm saying? See, God created Adam exactly like he is. And think about this now. There's no sin in the world. There's no sin in the world right now. Adam's perfect. He doesn't have a bad thought. He is perfect. He is exactly like God. And yet Adam wanted something. What did he want? He wanted a companion in his image. Does this not tell you what God wants? God wants a companion in his image. How do I know that? Because he created someone just like he is, and the one he created wanted a companion that looked like him. That's what God wants. So I want you to understand something. God wants you. I know that he wants you because he created you in his image. All right, here's the second reason that I know God wants you. He redeemed you. With his blood. He redeemed you with his blood. Now, again, if you um, uh, think about the first subject and the verb and the direct object, he redeemed you. The word redeemed means bought back. He bought you back. Now, the question is, could he have redeemed you any other way? Uh, maybe he could have used um, uh, S&H green stamps. How many of you remember... S&H green stamp. Hi. Right. Some of you remember, how many of you have actually ever licked an S&H? Yeah, all the people with brain damage here, see, <laughs> from the glue. I remember going down the street and seeing the neighbors using the little sponge. Ah, they're smart. My mother used to tell me, if you'll help me lick these green stamps, when we go to the, and you remember what it was called, the S&H green stamp? Redemption center. Redemption. See, if you, here's what they meant. If you will bring in 40 to 50 million books, you can get a lamp. And somehow you would redeem these. Okay, you have to remember now, here's how God redeemed you. With his own blood. With his own blood. Could God have redeemed you any other way? No. No. He could have forgiven you, but He couldn't have purchased you back. Here's what I mean by that. All through the Old Testament, for 4,000 years before Jesus came, He was forgiving people's sins. But He always did it by the shedding of blood. Hebrews says, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. Even Adam and Eve tried to cover their sin. God cleansed their sin. First animal sacrifice in the garden. So God could have forgiven you, but he couldn't have redeemed you. And he redeemed you with his own blood. If, I don't know if you flipped over to Hebrews 9 or held that, but Hebrews 9 verse 12 says, Not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood. He entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained, now here, here's important words, eternal redemption. He obtained eternal redemption. God redeemed me with his own blood. Now, I want to ask you a question, and I want the gravity of this question to hit you, and I want you to think about it all week, all right? I want you to think about this question. Did God know when he created you that you were going to sin? Did he? 
Sure he did. And did God know what it would cost to redeem you? Yeah. And he still created you. If that doesn't tell you that God wants you, I don't know how else to tell you. God knew when he created you that you were going to sin. All of us have sinned. All we like sheep go astray. We've all gone our own way. God knew. He knew that we would sin. And he knew that the only way he could redeem us was with his own blood. And he still created us. See, God chose you before you chose him. You know that? He chose you first. Matter of fact, Ephesians 1 says that He chose you before the foundation of the world. John 15 says He chose you before you chose Him. 1 John 4 says He loved you before you loved Him. God chose you first. See, somehow, sometimes we just think, well, you know, God's God, and so He, he had to choose us. He didn't have to choose us. He chose to choose us. Probably the, the best illustration I can use of this is, do you ever remember in school when you were growing up, dividing up, um, you know, for sports things, and, and, and two people would be the leaders and they would choose. Okay. What was your one prayer? Yeah, that you wouldn't be chosen last. Now, see, some of you athletes here have no idea of the pain <laughs> that the rest of us went through. I was never chosen first. Uh, and I just, oh, I just pray, please, God, please, God, please, God, don't let me. I'll live for you. I'll live for you, God. <laughs> and I remember one time in particular, it's just one other person, and I'm standing there. There's just two of us left. Just, just two of us. And I'm thinking, please, God, please. And the person, a long time. Why can't you just, just looks from me to the other person. And finally, the guy says it like this. All right. We'll take Robert and y'all can have the girl. <laughs> Thank God for the girl. <laughs> okay, listen to me. That's not the way God chose you. God didn't say, all right, I'll redeem them. He chose to redeem you before you even sinned. That's how much He wants you. I'm trying to convince you. I want you to leave today saying, I'm convinced God loves me and God wants to have a relationship with me. But it goes farther than that. Here's the third reason I know God wants you. He perfected you by His grace. He perfected you by His grace. The goodness of grace is beyond our comprehension. I don't care what your understanding of grace is, and I've studied grace my whole life. I'm telling you, the goodness of grace is better than we can even imagine. Because grace wipes out all of our failures, all of our shortcomings, so that a perfect God can have a perfect relationship with us. It's, it's incredible. Think about this. Is God perfect? Is He then how in the world could he have a relationship with you? Because you're not. Unless he does something to perfect you. Now, uh, I know you're probably thinking to yourself, you know, Robert, using this word perfect. I don't know if you should use the word perfect here. Well, the Bible does. The Bible says that the righteousness that comes through the law cannot make anyone perfect. 
But the righteousness that comes through faith can make us perfect in God's sight. In the sight of God, we're perfect. See, let me tell you how he goes a step farther. He creates us in his image, but we sin. So he redeems us by his blood. Listen to me, though. But we still sin. We still make mistakes. So he perfects us by his grace. He does a work in our hearts and in our lives so that he totally wipes away all of our sin. Let me show you if you're still in Hebrews, verse 12. We're coming in on the middle of a conversation here, but let me just show you one verse. Verse 23 says, To the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God the judge of all. Now, now watch, this is the phrase I need you to see. To the spirits of just men made perfect. To the spirits of just men, justified men, made perfect. Okay, it says the spirits made perfect. Now, listen, here's how I can explain it. I'm three parts. Remember that. You're three parts. Body, soul, and spirit. Okay, I'm going to tell you something that is going to shock you. I mean, this is going to shock you. I don't have a perfect body. I know, I know, that's shocking. It's very, very close. But it's not perfect. I don't have, remember three parts, body, soul, spirit. I don't have a perfect soul. Your soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. I don't have perfect thoughts. I don't make perfect choices. I don't have perfect attitudes, mind, will, and emotions. I don't have a perfect soul. But by the grace of God, I have a perfect spirit. Perfect. Because he perfected me. He forgave me. My spirit's perfect. My soul, this is what Hebrews even says, is being perfected. And, and by the way, the word perfect means mature in the Scriptures. Yeah, I am maturing in my soul, in my mind, will, emotions. But my spirit, he's perfected. My soul is being perfected. And one day, I will have a perfect body. You wait till you see me in heaven. <laughs> you know, all of us have seen the imperfections of our bodies. We've... we've we have, uh, we have, we've lost people because of imperfect bodies. Uh, we've seen people who go through tremendous difficulties because of the imperfections in their body. Um, Debbie's father, uh, about three years ago, went to be with the Lord. Before he went to be with the Lord, for several years, he had involuntary tremors. His hands, you know, would shake. You've seen people like this. And uh, they had a, a spring on their property and a lot of you realize, you know, you don't have good city water or tap water, so you buy drinking water. Well, they had a spring that was just great drinking water. So they would take jugs of water down there, and they would fill them up. And, of course, when he would hold the jug under there, you know, he would shake. And it, it got worse as he got older. And so one time he's with one of the grandchildren, and he said, why don't you hold the jug? And she was only about four years old. And so, you know, as grandchildren do, she held the jug, and then she said, Papa, do you want me to shake? <laughs> She didn't know why he did that, you know. Here's what I want to tell you, though. He doesn't shake anymore. He doesn't shake anymore. Your loved one that died of cancer doesn't have cancer anymore. One day we're going to have a perfect body. 
we're, we're learning in our souls, but by grace, we have perfect spirits. God has perfected our spirits. He's done a work of grace. And here's the problem. We fall into the perfection trap. This is the reason I'm telling you this. You don't have to be perfect in your soul and your actions to have an, a relationship with God. Let me, let me say it this way. I'm not perfect in my performance. I am perfect, though, in my position. I'm perfect in my position because of grace. And I have fallen in this trap. You know, we, we, we just don't look at that. I'm not finished with that yet. We just want everything to be perfect. I, 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 try, I try. Okay, here's another way. I'll just shock you this way. Here's another shock. I have never preached a perfect sermon. I know that's shocking too. But I try. And here's the sad thing. I get four shots at it every week. <laughs> Some guys only get one. I still can't get it right. And then they ask me after the service, they say, which one do you want to catalog? In other words, which one would be on the, in the CD, on the CD for the set and would go on the internet for people to listen to? Now I think to myself, well, at the four o'clock, I didn't say this and I should have. At the 545 service on Saturday, I said this and I shouldn't have. And then I try to think about the 9 and the 1045, and I, I just, because I want to, and I remember, I'm so hard on myself. Any of you relate to this being so hard on yourself? Just, you just didn't get it perfect. It just wasn't perfect. You know, I remember one time, and Debbie, she just gets tired of it sometimes, you know. And so one time I, I got in the car, and she said it was a great sermon. I said, no, I forgot this. I forgot this. I just, it just makes me so mad. I just forgot this one Thing. And I said, you know, if I'd have just said that one thing, it would have been perfect. And finally she got tired. She said, no, it wouldn't, because I could tell you some other things you said. <laughs> it still wasn't perfect. Just quit being so hard on yourself. That's what I want to tell you. Don't be so hard on yourself. See, let me tell you the only kind of grace that doesn't work. Listen carefully. This is the only type of grace that doesn't work. Grace that's not received. If you don't receive it, it doesn't work. But if you'll receive God's grace, it works. Now, most of you here have received God's grace for salvation. Here's what I want to ask you. Have you received God's grace for last week? Because I want you to know something. You still need God's grace. You still need it. Have you received God's grace for however you messed up and blew it last week? Here's the great thing I'm telling you. God wants us because He created us. But then we all sinned. So He redeemed us, but here's the problem. We still sin. So He perfects us. That's incredible. That's an incredible truth to understand. A while back, I preached a message, gave the invitation, and we always have leaders up here at the front to pray with people. And that day, I didn't feel, I just felt like, I'm just going to not have any leaders up here. I'm just going to tell people, you just come and meet with God by yourself which was probably a good thing that day for this one man that came because he told me later, I wouldn't have even gone to someone I was so ashamed. I didn't want to talk to anyone. And I found out that on the way to church, he had not been in church for 14 years. 14 years. And on the way to church, he actually pulled over in a parking lot and stopped and almost turned around. And his wife had been asking him for weeks to go to church. And, and he, she finally said, she said what's, what's wrong? Why won't you go? And he said to her, because I just feel like the prodigal son. I've, I've always, my whole life, I felt like the prodigal son. And he said this to her, I don't want to go to church because I think he's going to ask me 
where I've been and what I've been doing. And she talked to him for a while, and so finally they came. They sat in the back. I gave this invitation, and he said, I came down. I wouldn't have come if there had been someone there. And he said, I was just all by myself, standing, standing right here. And the Lord gives me this word. And this doesn't happen a lot, but God wanted him to know how much he loved him. And so I think about what the Lord told me. I had no idea of the conversation he said to his wife in the car. I walked up to him, put my arm around him, and I said, I know. You've always felt like you've been the prodigal son. Now listen to this. I said, but God wants you to know something. He doesn't care where you've been, and he doesn't care what you've done. He just wants his son back. He just wants his son back. Now that's a word for some of you. You need to understand, when you read, Jesus himself told the story of the prodigal. And it's representing the father. The father never asked him, where you been? What would you do? He never asked him about his performance. You want to know why? Because Jesus died for your performance. And none of our performance measures up. God just wants his child back. You want to know how I know that? Because he wants you. God wants you. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes.